I don't think we need to, introductions at this point. I, I, I just want to pick up on the compassion video that you've just seen and uh, kick off by asking uh, Eugene and, and Pauline if, if you've got anything to add. Um, you guys have a church partnership with Compassion. Uh, I don't know if you saw that particular video there, uh, but wondering how would you use uh, that particular video perhaps to motivate people in your church to be people who care for the poor? How could you kind of mobilise people with that uh, video? It, it's a real tough one because that's not the one we showed at church. Yeah. We'll talk about the one that you would <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah. Um, um, I think the, the reason why we got involved with Compassion is because I think as, as a church community, we, we, we struggle with trying to work out how to actually make a real global impact. Uh, to take the, the words of Jesus seriously in terms of uh, meeting the needs of the poor, not just spiritually, but physically as well. And so I think the, the pastoral team struggled with that, uh, looked at a couple of organizations, and I think we landed with Compassion because Compassion was an organization that was Christ-centered, you know, centered on the gospel. Uh, they had a spiritual agenda. Um, they were child-focused, uh, which meant that they actually looked at the poorest of the poor, the most needy, uh, the most helpless, uh, and they were church-based. Uh, and so theologically, I think as a church community, we, you know, we're committed to not just the, 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 the gospel as a personal, uh, to not just seeing personal salvation, but people saved into community, uh, and then the church being the witness in that community as well. Uh, and so that's how we landed with Compassion, uh, and, and because we, we wanted to do something, yeah. Uh, during lunch, there'll still be a chance to chat with Adrian from Compassion. So if you want to pick that up and talk about church partnership, uh, you're welcome to do that. Uh, the SMS number's up there. If you want to SMS in, otherwise just uh, wave your hand and we'll take Q&A. It's pretty much open slather, like whatever you want to ask, just fire away. I've I got, got a question for, um, for Pauline. There you go. I'll kick, kick off with Pauline. Um, I guess we've talked a lot about the Anglo connecting with you know, the Chinese culture or the Afghani culture, um, but what's it like, uh, can you tell us what's it like from a, you know, a Chinese, you know, Chinese and Asian background person trying to connect with the Anglo culture and go the other way? Um, can you talk about your experiences? How have you found that in a church that's predominantly you know, Asian? Um, what advice can you give to um, us Asians out there? Yeah. yeah. Us. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's thoroughly um, Asian. Yeah. <laughs> thoroughly. I think when a lot of people look at me, they just see an Asian face. Um, but I actually don't even speak a word of Chinese. Um, I know two words, hakao, siumai, yum cha food. Um, <laughs> um, I think what, for us, what's really important is not bringing people to church, but to introduce them to Jesus. Um, and so I think for me, the way I've done it, is, um, sorry, I'm a bit nervous because I never go up front. <laughs> um, I teach local scripture. Um, at local, uh, I teach scripture at um, local primary school. Um, and what's come out of that is um, we had a neighbour that moved in and there's a five-year-old who lives next door and um, she just came home one day and she goes, Mom, that's my scripture teacher. Um, so I got to know her mum through that. Um, her mum is Anglo, right? She's from Queensland country. She's had her arm up a, the back of a cow before. So, and, and she says, yeah. Um, and she says hooly dooly a lot. So I, I, I don't know what that That's means. <laughs> um, when did you find out that she had her arm up the back 
<laughs> How early? Uh, very, very early. <laughs> um, but I think what's, what's really amazing is that for me, being Chinese or coming from a Chinese background, the Bible's been in English, but she's never opened the Bible before. Um, she didn't even know where Genesis was in the Bible. Um, so I got to open the Bible with her and do Christianity Explained. Um, what else do I do? Oh, um, easy I, English. Yeah, easy English. So I trained myself to teach ESL. Um, and through that, through home tutoring, I've been able to meet Sudanese refugee and Korean mom and um, a migrant from mainland China. Um, yeah, local, local um, high school scripture as well. Do I have time to, to just... <laughs> Last Friday, I, I had the opportunity to, to help run a discussion group. Um, and there was a bunch of girls, and they were really interested in, in wanting to know more about the Bible. And so the next period they had, it was free. They asked for permission to, um, to actually read the Bible more. And I think what really stoked me was that you know, growing up in high school, I was the nerdy Asian. And there's no way I, I would have thought I could speak to these bunch of girls. And they're like bleached, blonde, long hair, and they're all into personal fitness and all that kind of stuff. But they really wanted to hear the gospel. So I got to, to open up Luke 24 with them about the resurrection of Jesus. So they're, they're all the things that I do. Yeah, I think one of the things, I mean, Pauline does this so much better than I do, Scott, because uh, she's actually more out there in the community than I am. And I, I think often when we think cross-cultural, we think, uh, you know, find uh, people who are not like us, but there's just opportunities everywhere. Uh, in every community, there's opportunities. And one of the things about Pauline, she just finds those opportunities to just meet people, uh, just to get to know people. Uh, and so, you know, everything you do is cross-cultural, <laughs> Uh, whether it's reaching young people, uh, wh- whether it's dealing with the elderly. Um, her women's group, she takes her women's group out uh, to do once a month nursing homes just to, to share the love of Jesus with people who are lonely. Uh, so she does a lot more of that stuff than I do. You can catch her over lunch and she does so much of that stuff. So, so I've got a question. That's all right, I'm not going to ask questions. Right, yeah, um, <laughs> so that's interesting that uh, uh, Pauline does a lot more of that than you do. So w- what is the challenge of you what what's, what are your challenges that mean you're not able to as much and is that is that a problem should church planters be more like Pauline or more like you H- how does that work uh, I think for me it's slightly different because the roles actually changed uh, I think uh, when it was just the two of us in ministry when we planted the church I was just meeting a lot more people I was out there I think it's also partly out of desperation when you're 25 people in the church if you're not meeting people you're not constantly speaking to people, it's hard to grow the church. Uh, and so now my role is moved between managing the ministry team, uh, the staff we have, uh, and the different congregations across three sites. Uh, and so most of the non-Christians I meet are actually through the congregation. Uh, so people come. So last week, you know, we had a guy come to church. A friend brought him. Uh, he's, uh, he's a builder. Uh, and he came, and uh, he came up to me after the service. He's only been twice. And he said... Uh, when do you guys do mass? And I said, uh, we just did. And he said, what do you mean? Uh, and then we got into this conversation, right? We start talking about his tattoo. He's got a huge sleeve. And I said, that's not, not finished. You know? How many hours did that take? And it's like another 24 hours. I'm going, that's painful, man. 
And, uh, and, and so it was an opportunity for me to speak to him. And I said, well, why don't you come back next week? Uh, and, you know, we, we can talk more about Jesus and Mass and a whole host of things. Uh, and so I tend to meet uh, a lot of these guys through friends who've brought non-Christians to church. So, so talk us through the... Talk us through the... Uh, since you don't ask questions, I will. Talk, <laughs> he does. Talk, he talk us through the first... So there's just the two of you and you've got 25 and you're meeting people. How are you meeting people at that point? What are you doing? How are you getting out to meet people to grow the church? Uh, tr- troop friends who've, who brought friends to the church. That, that's how I've been able to engage with them. Uh, early on, though? So, oh, early on? Yeah, when it was just the two of you and there was 25 people, what were you doing to connect and get people... Coming? Yeah, I think one of the ways we did it was... I think when we planted the church, the community was really small and so... You know, when you've got 25 people, they really do life together. Uh, It gets hard to help people do life together as the church gets bigger. Uh, We do it mainly through our community groups. And so what would often happen is uh, people would actually do lots of uh, activities over food. Food seems to be a common theme. Uh, And so I remember every Friday night, Saturday, Sunday after church, uh, people would just do stuff together, and there would always be friends there. Which, which means that, you know, because we're, we're doing life together, we're always meeting at people's house. People will bring their friends. And so there's no distinction between these are my Christian friends and these are my non-Christian friends because non-Christians were always around. And so we would always have opportunities just to talk. Um, that, that's how we did it. Did you ever have life. to organize that or was it just spontaneous? Spontaneous. Okay. Yeah, church planting in the early years, that was all really spontaneous. But that would be a powerful thing if you haven't got it spontaneously happening to actually try and facilitate oh, that yeah, in some absolutely. way. So it's warm, friendly, and it looks like it's just happened. That's right. And in fact, in fact, we, 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 in fact a lot of that stuff we never had to do because the church planting team did that. Uh, so Owen Sito, he's actually one of the Geneva planters as well, and he's uh, planted the, a new uh, community this year. Uh, Grace Point, Burwood Morning. Uh, and what's happened with his community is uh, he's got such a good team. That's what they've been doing. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll do barbecues together. There's 25 of them. They do, they do life together. And he said to me, he gave me an update about two weeks ago, and he said, you know, 15 non-Christians came along for that barbecue. Uh, now, they're not at church. And I said, that's fine because, you know, like Pauline said, the goal is to introduce people to Jesus and not bring them to church. Somewhere along the line, they, they'll join Christian community as they come to know the Lord Jesus. But, you know, I said 15 people there, and they're just getting to know Christians because they've never had Christians in their lives. And I think that's, that's what's happening. That's powerful. Yeah. There is a second conversion, though, isn't there? There's the, um, the, the, there is the reality for I, if someone comes to Christ, is introduced to Jesus outside of the church context, there is that second conversion so-called of now what it means to be a follower of Christ is in church. And, uh, and th- right. that, that is a challenge, but it's a Oh, it's an absolute challenge. Yeah, yeah. But I think it, it, it's different when they're actually already in community with Christians because it's when they turn up at church, they're not a stranger to the church. It's like, oh, I already do life with these people. Community's yeah. life. Yeah, community. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. So with our, with our Chinese folk, it would happen in a number... I don't... I th- I've got this on, so I don't need it. <laughs> that's right. Um, I think it, for some of them it may be a five-year process from the time they walk into ESL to when they're regular attenders at church. And they, they will go through a whole process of first they'll go to ESL and then they might, that might get them in the, the door to something else. But then they'll realise that they've been loved, uh, that there's fellow Chinese they can talk to, that that will introduce them to a broader group of people... They'll then come back and they'll do uh, an evangelistic course and they'll learn a little bit more. And uh, so it might be, for some it might be a, a year 
but for others it might be five years and it's happened. The wonderful thing about uh, our Chinese is that everything happens with food and everything therefore is much more community based. They feel as though they're at home almost immediately. Uh, our Anglos are involved with them often from the beginning but then the Anglos drop back after ESL and the Chinese will take over. Um, and so it's a, it's a rich thing and in one sense we're in no hurry. And that's partly because the culture's a network, totally context exactly. network. But the other thing is um, that means church planning in the Australian context, in the Anglo context particularly, uh, you, you, you can't build a church plant from conversion growth, pure and simple. Sure. You've, you've got to build it from having established a core group that's transferred from somewhere, somehow. Yeah. Um, and there's a reality there. A real question. A real question. See what you think. Um, we're in Tassie. Uh, it's less multicultural uh, than many of the contexts represented uh, by others here. Um, uh, having said that, uh, we do have the UTAS, um, and the Focus Ministry brings in international students, and some of those find their ways into churches which uh, have very, very few, if any, um, uh, other. Um, folks from that, whichever background, usually Chinese or Korean or something like that. Um, and um, I suppose uh, th this relates to how we view um, what, what we do with those folks who come to us. Um, I was chatting with the guy who leads the focus group and he was talking about this very issue, but I wondered if you had any thoughts on it, whether you, you, you've seen this borne out in your own uh, experience, uh, that um, they come along and uh, we think great, we can reach the Chinese now or the Koreans, um, but they come with an agenda which is much more about getting to know Australians and um, learning English and, um, you know, getting stuck into cultural experiences like that. Um, and so is there a sense in which their discipleship changes from, OK, we're actually not going to push them back to say, go and reach your Chinese friends, because that's what we really think you're an opportunity under God to do, um, straight up. Um, but that, that sort of comes later, um, where they um, get strong in the faith. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily even talking about Christians coming. They, they just come as non-Christians, um, bring them to Christ. What, what do we do then? Do we um, push them into groups with their Chinese folks? Do we you know, sweat around and think which, because um, we don't have anything to support that, we, you know, what do we do with them? Um, do we actually keep them as a, uh, uh, an expression of the heavenly all nations picture in our own church um, or send them really quickly um, to something, you know, that someone else is doing? It's just a bit of a, a conundrum um, where people come with a different agenda that's not necessarily... Um, the Christian mission agenda. Everyone um, comes with that different agenda. It's worth saying, isn't it? Everyone who comes to us isn't coming to work out how to be on mission. And so, so everyone's coming like that. But, but then what you do with them is there. So what do you, what do, you do? I've had two experiences. Uh, one where we church planted and we planted for Aussies. Um, and in, I think, week three or six or something like that, we had one Chinese person walk in the door. Next week, there were six because uh, their communication is incredibly 
good amongst themselves. And if they find... They told me, uh, just by way of example, that say this was a lecture theatre, and I've watched, I've watched this in lecture theatres, if, if they uh, were sitting there and they sat next to an Aussie, the Aussie would physically turn away from them. Uh, and this happens regularly in lecture theatres. Uh, and when they walked into a lecture theatre that was a church, they found that the Aussies didn't. That they turned to them, they welcomed them, and they then felt this is a group of people that, even though they weren't interested in faith, that the first group of Aussies that had really spent time with them, uh, we then would eventually invite them into our home. We'd have wonderful evenings where they would show us how to cook dumplings. We would show them how to cook some Aussie fare that we knew would work with them. Uh, and so gradually we, yeah, <laughs> we gradually worked out how, um, how to welcome them. But we didn't actually need, we, we didn't need to instruct them in any way as to how to bring others because their culture itself works that way. They, um, we found in Perth that if you had arrived from mainland China in Perth, you were Chinese. Within a week, you knew the best place to buy vegetables and pork. And it's just the network is so good. Um, and so it's not that we necessarily need to find them. They will find us, and if they find us welcoming, they find us uh, um, speaking to them in English clearly and well, uh, they'll keep coming. I provided, when I preached, I provided full sermon text. They could read as they heard. Um, what they were hearing, though, was, we welcome you, which is not what the general message has been for them. Uh, and so that, that in itself will be attractive. So that's just one response. Um, uh, our other experience, I'll let others say other things, but our other experience has been where we have 40% of our congregation, three out of eight congregations that are Chinese. Well, that provides its own community and so on. Um, and so we don't have to do much work with that. So it's very different from your context. But my first context was like your context. Yeah. Okay, I've got a, qu I got a question from the SMS. Um, McGavran mentions the class divide. Um, one of, I guess, one of the issues the church has is actually reaching uh, blue collar, blue collar workers. Uh, and the question is, do we not notice it because we are the top of the class? The we, I'm assuming, is the church in Australia. Um, and are there, or well, is there anyone who's who's reaching the working class well in Australia uh, as a church, um, as a group? Yeah. It is, it's true, like, attract like, and the, the, the difficulty with the gospel is it creates the middle class, in a sense. So that's one of the... Uh, we, we need to be constantly evolving, but the reality is that as uh, someone's converted, they're converted into a context where they begin to learn um, changing patterns, uh, responsibilities, and they then become upwardly mobile and they stop smoking, They stop all those kind of things happen to someone the gospel creates and so there's always this ten tendency in community life to flow into a different kind of place and we've got to keep coming back down again, back down again and it is a challenge, I think it is. Um, there's language, all of those. It was interesting, The um, on the Central Coast we are a bit more like Tasmania, I think, in that you know, there's... 
um, there's not a lot of uh, different ethnic groups around us. There's, uh, and all of them go to the Lakes Evangelical Church with Dave and Ruth Sheath, as far as I can see. Um, he can go to any restaurant, any Chinese restaurant on the Central Coast and get a free meal because they're all coming to his church. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, I think your question earlier, it'd be good to ask Dave who's sitting in front of you about that one because the way they're being... Yeah, yeah, right. They're, they're being engaging. Um, but, um, but see, we work, with we work with subculture. So our Saturday night work uh, is a particular expression of trying to reach a culture that... I am less and less able to connect into because I, my language has shifted. I'm more educated. I'm more bookish. I'm, um, it wasn't how I started, but over the years, that's where I've gone. And the people that keeps attracting are very different, so they bounce out of that. So we've had to consciously find people who are um, the leaders who can run that work who are, are just not very smart. <laughs> He's standing over there. Who? Uh, so, so, Tim, who... Who, uh, who can speak into that culture, has the same humour as that culture, who can dress like that culture, who, who gets the values, the humour, the, uh, and that is a challenge. And you've got to, I think the same way with ethnic work is subculture work. Great. Um, excellent. excellent. You just stopped me then. Did you see that? Uh, another question. Uh, often people say church planters only have one plant in them. They've only got one plant in their lifetime. Um, do you think planters have more than one plant in them? And planting couples have more than one plant in Kathy, what do you reckon? Um, I think we've only got one in us um, where we're personally doing it but we obviously have hoped to plant other churches from us so in that case we're involved in more than just one um, but I think one of the strengths of um, the position we've had is to be in the same place for a long time and so be able to build up um, almost like a centre that can be able to plant other churches um, and I think physically we'd be way too tired to do it again, but we've got a whole great young generation growing up. Um, Dan Godden's here, church planted at Wollongong. He was our first youth person. Um, so, yeah, we're going to keep kicking out the younger ones to go and do that. Depends who you are. Andrew. Yep. Well, it depends uh, who you are. Uh, Andrew Reid, yeah. sorry. Uh, I, have a, I have a five to seven year use-by date, and, so I've, and I have friends like that. So while I've only planted one, I've done lots of new things or revitalised old things, and that's just that's just how I'm wired. Can, I get can bored you share after how, seven years. Can you share how you, how did you work that out that you had a, a five to seven years by date? I got bored after seven years and didn't know how to reinvent myself in the context that I was in. So I just realised that's my personality. Um, I'm. You know, I, I try to stay longer because all my models are models of people who stay long terms. That, that is, the models of people that I think I'd really like to be like that, they've stayed 20, 30 years. And I think, wow, that's... But I, I realise that that may not be in me to do. And Huge, maybe you could help us, because uh, I, I know you've sent out a number of church plants uh, yeah. or church planters. How do you wrestle with... I, think, yeah, I, could, do this, I could probably do this better than... All, you know, all of them, maybe, potentially. Maybe. But uh, humbly thinking that. But I've actually... To grow yeah, I, th I think it's a real hard one. It really depends on how God has wired you up. Uh, so I think in 99 we did it, 2005 we did it. But the last two through our church, Grace Point, have been other guys at Grace Point. But I think Paul and I have been discussing that and we thought, okay, in two years we might actually lead the next Grace Point plan, uh, which means the role actually changes. But I think 
different stage of life, you know, and uh, we feel different pressures. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's just the way God has wired you up. Uh, but, you know, I like to stay at a place. And you know, I think longevity, I think that makes a huge difference. Uh, and so, but that's important for me as well. Yeah. One, of, one of the exciting things about this conference is that uh, church, some church planners have brought their teams. Uh, they brought their core teams, they brought key, key guys in the leadership team. Um, so this is a question about uh, leadership teams and friendships. As, as pastors, do you have close personal friendships with people in your church? Um, do you find it easy or difficult? Um, and what are some of those difficulties? And, and I think it, particularly it's around the question of friendship, uh, you know, friendship with key guys maybe that you might bring on in your core team um, and how that maybe changes as your church grows. Have any of you, uh, you got something to say about that? Um, for us at Grace Point, I think all our staff have been homegrown, uh, either through our own apprenticeship uh, or MTS or Metro, uh, whoever's giving us money to run apprenticeship. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so I shouldn't say that because John's actually here. He I used to head Metro. He gave us money, actually. Um, and so, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and, so, and so they've all been homegrown. Uh, and so... They're both friends, uh, people I pastor and people I work alongside. Uh, so it's, 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 it's kind of weird, but, you know, that's, that's how we've worked. Uh, the difficulty, the challenge, though, has been sometimes I wear the friend hat. Sometimes I wear the pastor leader hat over them. And, and that has created tension before in the past. And so with some of our pastors, I've had to sat, sit down with them and say, look, uh, you've got to understand that sometimes I have to wear the manager hat. And I've got to say to you... Um, you said you're going to do this. This isn't actually happening. And so I think in the early days, it was hard to work that out because, you know, they weren't sure, is Huge being a fr- isn't Huge supposed to be my friend? Well, no, Huge is not your friend. Huge is actually the lead pastor who has expectations of you. So that for me was the biggest struggle. Yeah. But, but the advantage is because all our guys are homegrown. They breathe the same air. They know our values. They know our vision. They know how we do things. And we, they know how the culture works. Anyone else? Andrew, did you want to comment on that? Andrew Heard? Heard. Kathy, okay, <laughs> Kathy. <laughs> Kathy. Um, I think friendships were hard for me at the beginning. We had moved and gone to a new place, didn't know anyone. And in the early days when people are kind of checking you out and then leaving, it was actually hard to know who was going to be my friend. And it actually became hard to entrust myself to people because then someone you thought you got along with really well turns around and leaves your church and you think like that hurts because you thought they liked you and that they leave means they don't like you and it's very hard to divorce me they're leaving me from they're just leaving our church that's a different thing it's really quite tricky to work that all out so that's all kind of early years over the years the people that I've grown closest to and love dearly are the ones I work with in ministry um, sorry, and I'm married to who's my best friend. <laughs> um, but the um, uh, so I'm part of overseeing some women's Bible study groups, and I meet with the leaders once a week. And I also work closely with three who oversee sections of these groups. Now um, we're so much on the same page with wanting to serve Christ that that depth of relationship. Um, it, it, it's wonderful and they, they feel, you know, that they are my closest friends. And um, the staff, like I, because I'm part of that as well. So um, I was just reflecting um, 20 years ago we started and I had a birthday, you know, I had my 30th and my 40th in our church and I really didn't have anyone to invite. Um, 
I've had no friends. And uh, <laughs> it's terrible. I, I did have some friends. Um, I'm turning 50 next February, and I want all the staff to come and some of my key leaders. And I think, oh, I've got lots of people to invite. And they're who I feel closest to. I, I was just going to add, it is, I think it is, a, it is an issue to watch because um, you can uh, put undue pressure on people mm. uh, and because your needs can be such that you can put undue pressure on other people to be friends for you, which complicates their decision-making and their involvement and participation. There's a complication there, which is why Geneva is important. <laughs> I actually think um, one of the things we're trying to do is facilitate friendship networks that are safe ones and stable ones so that you are in a secure position to relate to people that you're pastoring, trying to develop, disciple, nurture, bring in, such that you don't put undue pressure on them. They don't, they don't feel pressured, mm. but you can have friendships that emerge health in a healthy way because you've got this other support friendship network that's going on. So that's why I think this is so important, what we do together. Yeah. Great. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just, just a suggestion for those of you who uh, will go into church planting, and that is one thing that we realised when we left Sydney to go to Perth, and as we've kept going as we've moved to Melbourne and so on, has been that uh, it may be necessary to create friendships that are in one sense portable. So we've deliberately done that, uh, and so when we left Sydney, I talked to three people who I was close to, and I said, would it be okay if we maintain this relationship and whenever I'm back in Sydney I'll come and see you and I'll invite you to come and do things for us every now and then um, and we've maintained some of those relationships and if I might answer for Heather I think this the movability of me has been difficult for Heather in terms of uh, long-term relationships and that's a cost she has had to pay and we've had to then try and work out how best to counter that um, so I think for our wives it's particularly difficult as well if you're the sort of person that moves on regularly. Great. Um, we've, we're going to get a question from Jordan. Can I just encourage... Uh, Jordan's been doing MTS at SALT. Uh, he's their second MTS, or their second apprentice. He took the punt and came on sort of two years into the church plan, I reckon, took a risk on a young leader. Um, probably could have had really poor training potentially there. Um, but I want to encourage, um, I want to encourage people to, to take that risk because uh, there are great organisations like MTS and Metro who are actually inputting into trainers, trying to equip people to be better trainers and equippers, and uh, you often won't get any better experience um, than in a church plant. So, uh, you know, Jordan's going to college next year, and, you know, God willing, he may or may plant in the future, but um, I'm sure he's valued lots from the training experience. And that's going to be a completely unrelated question now, isn't it? Yeah, my question better be good now. <laughs> um, I was just wondering... It, it seems as though our model for church planning has been hugely influenced by the US, as in, you know, you start in a home, uh, get a core team together, have a launch week. Um, do you think that model, um, there's something inherently effective about it that will continue to work in decades to come? Or do you think that um, as we get a more multicultural context, we're going to have to start um, looking for other models that, and, and shed that model eventually. You, you've got to keep thinking principles and go back, theology, Bible, what's church? Church is the gathering of people around the word. And so that can take, that can look 
somewhat different, but it will always look like a group. You know, it'll always like, look like people together. And, um, and so there'll be some environments where people together, church, uh, you know, will always be Sunday mornings, uh, will be Saturday nights, or, you know, that group might be fortnightly. All of that mix needs to be available to us. But I, I think in the, in the ordinary cut and thrust of an environment where there are already lots of churches where we typically plant, um, you are planting into a context where people who choose church are choosing it in a competitive environment, to put it crassly. And so um, there are certain expectations that you need to be aware of. How much you acknowledge them and give to them and so on is a decision needs to be made. But you need to be aware of that. And I think that is why typically the 40 to 50, I think probably in the Australian context, 30 to 40, but 40 around that kind of launch thing sociologically makes sense because people expect certain things to be available if they're going to look at a church. And... Um, but you're absolutely right in the next... Well, well, we're in this place now with certain ethnic groups and certain subcultures. Um, the, the, the total church thing of um, you know, going in with a smaller group, an intense life-on-life group, that all of those have got to be part of the, the palette that we use to bring to bear to bring churches into existence. Great. I've got a question for um, Pauline. Um, so uh, keen to hear about a wife's role in feedback... Uh, criticism of husbands in preaching uh, and ministry generally and how much that can actually impact the ministry. Have you got any uh, helpful, unhelpful things that maybe you can share from your experience of um, yeah, giving huge uh, feedback, positive, negative? Um, yeah, I, I, I have um, people who come up to me and just tell me that they find it really hard to hear Eugene's sermon and what do I say to that? It's like... I find it okay. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So, um, Subculture, not smart. <laughs> yeah, I think I do sometimes. I, yeah, I, I, I learned from, I think, Philip Jensen, where just um, I think his wife would make sure that she doesn't say anything until Wednesday. So just let, <laughs> let things settle first and let, you know, let him you recover. Mean, you mean not in the car on the way home from church? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I like it fresh. I like it <laughs> right there. <laughs> in fact, if I sit down, it's good just to hear it right there uh, too. He, he, th- this is one tip which um, I failed to do at one stage. Before a big convention where you're speaking to thousands of people, do not have an argument on the phone. Like, just, yeah, don't hang up on him two minutes before he's about to speak. (laughs) Kathy, I I mean, maybe, Kathy, you can uh, just press into it a little bit more. Um, Obviously, you as a wife have a a more powerful feedback loop than, uh, say, a congregation member, even a staff member. where, how, do you, how do you deal with the tension of perhaps your desires? So your desires of wanting to see more of Andrew, uh, wanting to have more of his time, and your other desire, which is to see disciples being made, seeing Central Coast reach with the gospel. Um, so being aware of, I guess, the role that you have okay, as a Okay, I feel like there's a few unusual. questions yeah, there. But the critique one, 
I think I've done really well. <laughs> no, I learned um, that one of the most helpful things for Andrew to hear was how his sermon impacted me and the things I heard in the sermon. And then it was up to him to actually work out, did he communicate well? Was his structure, was his structure well? Like, was it well structured? Did the point he wanted to make be made? Rather than me coming at it from that point of view, um, just say, well, this is what I heard. This is how it impacted me. Do you agree? I think that was helpful. Um, and also it means, too, I'm sitting under the word as God's word, um, which I think is important for the wife to do, to not think of it as your husband preaching, but as God's word. And so coming from it from that point of view is I'm being soft to God speaking to me. Um, and so I'd say, yeah, I was really impacted by your thoughts on Jesus saying this, and I feel I've got to do more of this. And, and even talking outside of just the preaching yeah so um, taking it further husband running hard and just how to balance that I think you can feel quite guilty as a wife um, especially in the early days there is so much to do and you know you know that because you know how much there is to do to be the one to actually say I'm not coping and I need you to have more time with me can be a really hard step to take um, and I think I let lots of things, I, I think I did stretch myself and there's a, there's a value in doing that actually, um, to stretch beyond your comfort zone. But then I would snap and, and yell and carry on, uh, over a trivial thing, not realizing that there'd been this buildup of tension because, and I think part of me not realizing and not being able to speak up earlier was not knowing myself. And so I think also in all of this, you're trying to learn who you are, what your limits are, what you can give, where you actually have to say. So it's quite a struggle, I think, that early thing. And the guilt is always playing on your mind. Um, so I don't think there's many shortcuts. Some of you will do better because you'll be calmer people and you'll know yourself better. And some of you won't know yourselves well and you might be more volatile. But I don't think anything can short-circuit that constant talking about it and expressing in a calm way um, what you think you need and then negotiating that. So sometimes Andrew would say, look, I just have to be out every night this week. But because we talked about it, I was okay with that. I could prepare myself. But if it just happened, I'm out tonight. I'm out tonight, next I'm out tonight. Then I'd get myself really worked up and go, this is not fair. So sometimes pre-warned is forearmed. Andrew Reid? Oh, a couple of things. Just going back to uh, preaching and my relationship with Heather and so on. Just an aside just for a moment in terms of uh, my fiercest critic was my adolescent son, actually. Um, Because we taught him to think well for himself so he did, and he used it on his father. <laughs> so he'd tell me what I'd done wrong in the sermon, not what I'd done right. So Heather was a bit more sensitive than that. But the other thing is, uh, we, I had a regular practice for the first 20, 30 years of preaching, and I still do it occasionally now, where I'd preach the sermon to Heather first. So either the night before, or even I'd wake her up in the morning before I got up to preach, <laughs> and I'd say, what do you reckon? And uh, I'd try it out in full with her. And she would say, well, actually, Andrew, this, is, you know, this could do with some massaging here and some that's not clear there. So that was really helpful. Um, For different people. Sorry? That's clearly couple context. Yeah, isn't that's it? right. That's right. So I'm saying... I'm saying well, that I, stopped, this is, I stopped after the third sermon with my, doing that with my wife. This is, this is how it worked for us. And I think what, 
What that means is you find a way that it works for each of you and it will be different for each of you. Um, but we're fairly robust in all our conversations, so it was, it's okay, we're used to that. And I, and I, think, um, I, think, I think wives, you, you can trust, you can trust, your wives know you the best and often, um, and often uh, can, can, can help you clarify what you don't know about yourself um, often as well. Except I would add, I, I think um, in, in preaching but in ministry, it's, um, I, my mistake has been not communicating enough of the um, unspoken strategy, the unspoken tactic, the unspoken priority. And so um, the more, you know, I'm off doing all of this stuff and thinking and planning and so on, and the more Kathy's in on, the more your wife's in on why you're trying to do what you're doing and how you think it works, the better she can speak in and help. And so that's something... Pa- so over the years, Kathy has become a very good critic because, um, unfortunately, her husband didn't give her enough time, but as she's... She's so aware of what I'm trying to do and how I'm trying to do things that she speaks into it very, in a very powerful way. I was just thinking about sermons. When I remember the first time Andrew gave me his sermon and said, what do you think? He asked me to read them. I was so out of my depth. I felt like he's had training and thinking and he's asking me to critique it. I, I, don't, I had no idea. And then I felt um, inadequate too because he was annoyed because I wasn't giving him the information he needed to go and do a really good sermon for everyone. I'm thinking, if I can critique it, I could have written it and go and be the leader myself. (laughs) (laughs) So so, um, that's just to say, um, yeah, that sometimes guys can expect too much. And and when I I lapsed or or moved much more into how this impacts me, that was a relief for me that I didn't have to critique his structure and theology and preparation. Um, I could just say how it impacted me as a person. I can do that. So the concrete application for blokes here, I think, is uh, communicate with your wives and uh, I think realise that um, maybe even that first 18 months, two years, your wife is very engaged and hands-on. You know, she's alongside you, she's involved in assessment interviews, she's involved in planning. But as the ministry goes on, you can forget to keep involving your wife um, in that process. So third, fourth, fifth year, you've got to continue to communicate with your wife. And probably uh, Ray and Sandy Galea's uh, marriage and ministry talk this morning would be a great one to download and get really concrete, uh, you know, steps uh, to, uh, to talk through. Uh, Andrew, you made a comment uh, uh, just earlier in the Q&A. You, you can't grow a church through conversion only. Um, you can't grow a, con- a church through conversion only. Andrew, can you... Uh, Andrew Reid, that is. So yeah, I know, it was An- I know it was Andrew Heard who said <laughs> it. Can I get your thoughts on that? And then can we get you to elaborate that a bit further? I think we've heard a little bit of it, but can we get you to elaborate why? Uh, yeah. I understand that. But our Chinese churches have been built completely on conversion. Mm. So from start to end. Uh, all they had was one couple. Um, and uh, even, even now, if we plant another co- congregation, it will be based on people who were converted in that context. Yep. They'll be the basis for another congregation. So it has happened in that context, but I can understand... Um, I... I I can understand what's behind it um, and I think what we've got is really quite unusual and it's more, it's more like a missionary context. I, I have heard some, uh, some planners talk about in that core group stage, you may have your uh, 15 to 20 uh, already converted Christians who are keen to get on mission. Uh, they, won't, they won't launch the church until they get that first conversion, until they've got that first sort of DNA you know, 
DNA in the church of we're, we're on mission together and we're wanting to see disciples made, they actually won't you know, do the public launch until they've got their first disciple, you know, their first disciple, their first person converted. And that, that would have happened with our Chinese congregations. Mm. Yeah. Can, you, can I get you to press into your statement a second? second yeah, look, I, uh, it's, it is the Anglo... Con- it's this you know, broader Australian context. The, to see someone converted today in Australia, non-Asian... You, you know, it's a it's a three, four, five year process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, if I'm wanting to build a church based on conversion growth in an Anglo context, do you know what I mean? It takes me so long for <laughs> for me to get. I've got ten friends I'm working with. I might see one of them converted in three years. Well, you just won't get any momentum. You won't get. You, it's just a reality. Now, I think that's one of the dangers of movement theology. One of the dangers of us reading American theology. And, and ministry practice, um, you know, the, the Indian context, I was mentioning earlier, the Indian context the, the, and the Asian, I dare say, so tightly networked that you win one person, you win a whole bunch of networks yeah. and connections that flood in. Um, and, and the Australian thing, you win one convert. I think, I heard this stat many years ago, most Australians have two non-family visitors to their home in a year. Mm. I mean, we, we're just isolated, little pockets of relationships and so on. Yeah. Uh, another question uh, from the SMS. From your church planning experiences, is there a person who's more suited to do church planning rather than pastoring an established church? If so, can you speak into those personalities? Probably a good time to plug assessment as well. Um, <laughs> consider it plugged. Absolutely, they're different. And um, you need to work out which you are. And I think the other category that's not there as well is um, is teams get is, assessed. Yeah, is is teams ministry. So, so again, in both those contexts, I know you know the average the average church has a pastor leader and only a pastor leader. They don't have a team, but seeing yourself as as how, how you fit in a team uh, and in teams ministry, I think that's another thing that is potentially help, helpful in working that out. How, how do you work that out? Um, panel how do you work out again if you're a planter if you're not a planter if you're you know a 2IC or a team team ministry member how do you how does how does that process happen we got our guys assessed through Geneva is that a good play uh, the guys who planted with us are all very, very different. And so Owen is the, uh, the latest, no, actually not Owen, uh, Mikey is uh, going through. He's planting Providence Church in Brisbane. Uh, he's a different personality to Owen. Uh, Mikey's probably a bit more faster paced. Owen's slower paced. Uh, he's more entrepreneurial. Owen is not as entrepreneurial. But th- that didn't disqualify him from you know, church planting. It's, it's finding the right context, the mix with the uh, church planting team. Uh, so th- there's a whole host of things, which is why I think getting assessed is a good thing. Um, you understand yourself better, uh, your, your marriage better, and what's the best fit and best context to actually be involved in church planting. Um, and so I think it, it doesn't disqualify you. It's just knowing who you are and the environment you're going to be moving into. How, how have you done that in your staff teams? How have you intentionally helped people become self-aware um, about how they, you know, how they interact in a team, uh, how they are, you know, in different contexts. Have you been intentional about that, or has that just happened accidentally? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we've done uh, some things over the years. We did, I think, we did a disc thing as a staff team over the years. We've um, we talk about relationship life at various times. Um, 
we try not to be kind of too, and this is a bit, bit of us as well, we try not to be too introspective and looking at ourselves all the time. And, um, but we're conscious that as, as relationships have friction points, we use those as avenues to reflect on each other and what's happening, one-to-one conversations, small group conversations. Okay, okay another, another question sort of about the, along the staffing lines. Is Scott, can I actually say oh, something? Yep. I think one of the things that's really surprised me because the, the guys in our ministry team, um, all different personalities, but what's really surprised me is that if you have um, church planters who love people uh, and who are committed to the word and who are out there bringing the gospel to people's lives and trusting that God will do that, um, we've seen people converted uh, and we've seen congregations planted. Kelly? Um, how did you morph from being planter to established church person? Is that well, there is a question. So, so I've, I've determined to stay long term. And so, Kathy, you just, how, how have I transitioned that? Were you a planter or a long term person or both? Yeah. Um, I, I've. Uh, Every two years I've gone through grief. So it's interesting hearing Andrew's five to seven. Um, I've, I've determined that I'm going to, under God, by his grace and strength, win the Central Coast, come what may. <laughs> Do you know, I'm just, um, I'm just determined to see the gospel transform this place. And, um, and so I determined at the beginning to be whatever, it, whatever I need it to be to make that happen, I would become. <laughs> and so when I noticed in myself things that were holding back this work, I determined I'd go and find out how to fix it and change it so that I could become the next thing I needed to be to make it actually keep pressing forward. And that has meant every two years or so, every two or three years, I've had to undergo significant uh, shift in values, shift in priorities, uh, activities, um, and, and it's, been a, it's been a very painful process, but that's the one we're determined to pursue. Yeah. And also on our staff team, we've got quite a few guys who went through college thinking they would run a church themselves. And we've asked them instead to run an area in our church as part of a team. So that's really different thinking for them that they've taken on. So it's not like they, they thought of themselves as a team person and we thought of them as only being able to be team people. It's just that um, we asked them to take on that role and many of them have done that. Yeah, our conviction is it's not a hard one to work out. If, if we're going to reach 10% even of the regions we're in, um, then you know, there's two things. We've got, to make, we've got to plant more churches, but we've got to grow the churches that are planted larger because the, the, the opportunity to have facilities uh, for the numbers of churches needed to have a 10% of a population in church is just beyond us at present. Uh, getting the halls is just not possible. So we've got to learn how to plant churches, grow churches. The only way to grow churches is to have men and women prepared to commit long-term to being team members in churches, what's called second chair. Now, um, that is an immense blessing to a ministry and the guys around us, uh, guys and girls around us who have, who have determined to, exp- to, to bite the bullet, express some sense of sacrifice, we will give up you know, what we 
ordinarily thought would be the next step for us leading a ministry to be on a team long term, we are just incredibly grateful to God for because it's not possible to reach a region without men and women choosing to do that. Um, so it's a fantastic thing. We're nearly out of time. Uh, one last question. Uh, I reckon uh, I'll fire this at Andrew. Andrew, thanks uh, this, you know, at the last couple of days for opening up Exodus for us and for uh, talking to us particularly about leadership from the life of Moses. I, I found it tremendously helpful and we'll hear your, your final talk in a little bit. But this question, uh, we've just heard a bit about assessment, uh, recruiting staff. It seems an emphasis on recruiting staff, you need to be take it slow, uh, be really careful about getting the right people in the right places, in the right spots. Uh, the question is, uh, we've also heard a lot about uh, the need to have pastors and leaders who can speak people's heart language and, and, and really get in touch with the kind of deep presuppositions and values and things which seems overwhelming and it's hard to find those kind of people. Uh, so uh, how, do you, how do you go about that in terms of the recruitment process? Uh, yep, and the, the rest of the question is... Uh, Interview processes where there are language barriers, culture barriers, and church language culture barriers. I just wondered, like, whether you're appointing people to these Chinese congregations and whether you're looking for these kind of people who can connect with the heart language and if you can speak about recruitment in that context. Yeah. Uh, Most of my um, assessment, I think it's very important to go through a formal assessment at some point. And I, I don't like lots of the American ones because I think there's a model that sits behind them that I'm not... I don't think is necessarily the best one. Uh, But most of my assessment actually goes on personally. That is, most of the people that I have appointed to be church planters are people that I've got to know in a ministry context. And it's probably me that's encouraged them to think about it, about doing it, and said, look, you know, I think down the track uh, this would be a good idea. What can we do that would help you to get to that place or whatever? So... uh, and those things may not be spotted necessarily in an assessment. They may be fine-tuned by an assessment and they may be rebuked by an assessment, if I can put it that way. But I found my experience has been personal association with someone over a long period of time helps me to spot some things. But, but, but the difficulty there is... Yeah, sure. I'm sorry, I know no, you want to stop. Yeah, no, that's very helpful. But the difficulty there is yep. Andrew's a unique guy who, who you, we hear him preach and he's not your... You know, he, he brings exceptional gifts to these things. And so one of the dangers we're finding is that guys go, oh, Andrew just did it personally. That's much more powerful. And so I'll just personally do it. Thank you. Um, and yeah, there's, there, is the, there is the problem that most of our leaders haven't got the wherewithal to spot what needs to be spotted like you have. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I understand that, and I think that's entirely right. Yeah. Yeah, so Some I things you do intuitively, I, other yeah, people might need a bit of a structure or a process. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when I was choosing yeah, AFS, yeah, yeah. people when I was in the AFS, yeah. I did it intuitively. Yeah. So thank you, Andrew, that's very helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need you to bring those gifts into a broader work to help us who don't see those things, to be able to learn to see those things. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, I don't know if that quite answered... Thank it was Mikey's helpful. question, because it was particularly about the, the heart language aspect, because uh, it was a good answer to generally recruiting staff, it seems to me. I don't know if Mikey wanted to clarify. I'm not sure where he, where he is. Yeah, yeah, do you want to clarify? I'm just conscious that especially if someone coming from overseas and the church comes through you know, Singapore or China or somewhere, even the theological language might be different. Yep. The cultural cues about what makes the next perverter or introvert, yeah. these things. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. 
Uh, so in that context, because I have... Our critical appointment, which I wasn't responsible for, was one couple. And intriguingly, I think that's what has made it work. There was a man and a woman. That I think together they... I mean, they're, they're very close together. They'd been through theological college together. They did things... They were pretty intuitive themselves. Uh, they know the culture and they've been able to do all that assessment. So I trust them, basically. I say to them, I trust you. I, I've not seen you make mistakes in this area before. Um, who do you think? And I help them and they'll bring people to me. And, and so I don't therefore need to know the cues and so on, and I give them lots of room to move. So that, but that's my model of leadership. I give lots of room for people to move, trust them, and so on. So, so that does, doesn't really help you, Mikey, but in my context, that's... Well, you've I've just done. expanded the, the, the way we do cross-cultural ministry is to find the archipulos to reach the Greeks. Yes, yes. The way we find leaders in cross-cultural work is to find people in that culture to assess people in that culture. Yeah. Is, that, yeah. is that what we're saying? I, I was just going to give you a word of caution. I think one of, one of the things that I've seen uh, in the denominations that's a real problem is that a lot of denominations want to do cross-cultural ministry, and what they do is they import someone from overseas, uh, someone from overseas that they think can actually do the work locally. And what actually happens is, uh, and the Chinese church has experienced this, you bring people in, and uh, they might come from orthodox colleges, but they're not orthodox. Mm. Uh, they don't share the same gospel convictions, and they, don't, and they work much more culturally and pragmatically uh, and that's been a disaster for the Chinese church. Um, and the problem with the denominations is they, they bring uh, people from Orthodox colleges thinking that they're going to help grow the ethnic work, and it actually doesn't help. Um, you know, so what you see with people like Archie is what you want to be doing. You want to be finding people here uh, who are local, uh, who are ethnic, and, and because you, you're speaking to their lives, you are discipling them, uh, and they will grow to share the same gospel convictions. And that's really how you grow, grow the work of the gospel among ethnics. And, and our, our Chinese staff are ethnically critical. <laughs> uh, does that make sense? Yeah. They're, they're critical of their own culture. Because their culture is one that's very hierarchical, uh, particularly in a church context. And they've uh, uh, demythologized it, as it were. They've, they've worked out what's underneath it. And they've thought what's not Christian. And they've reframed it. And they're very unique for that reason. That's that kind of third culture thing, isn't it? You, 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 you're converted out of your culture, but then you're converted over your culture to go yep. back into it without being consumed by it. And you see the idols in it and so on. Yeah. And that, they can be quite rare. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which should be all of us in ministry. Yeah, it should. We, yeah. we, we ought to be pursuing <laughs> that, shouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. 